Father, we thank you so much for your truth. And Lord, we thank you for your graciousness uh, to wake us up to it, even when we've lived amidst it. Uh, Father, we, um, we need even uh, this morning your Holy Spirit to please communicate to our hearts, to please, Lord, um, testify to our spirits that we are children of God by feeling your conviction or your comfort or your assurance or affirmation. Lord, we're in danger as we read through Romans 1 and learn from it um, and the rest of uh, chapter 2 and into chapter 3. We're in danger of looking at the rest of the world rather than looking at our own hearts. It is good to know and understand why the world goes the way that it does, Lord. But we so often uh, find ourselves uh, degenerating in the same direction. We find ourselves so often becoming corrupted um, and finding our hearts needing to be reset uh, back to having you on their throne. So, Lord, we pray that you would minister to us by informing us and challenging us, but also uh, bringing conviction, bringing an opening of our eyes, Lord, uh, for where we need. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This past year, we saw in East Africa um, an Ebola outbreak, one that uh, we are unaccustomed to, certainly in our, our country and in the, the Western Hemisphere. And I think what was probably the saddest part of this as uh, we watched this unfold and maybe listened to reports of it on the radio, saw, saw things on the news, is how these, these brave health workers were risking their lives treating people with Ebola and trying to fend and, and stem the, the spread of this. And, and then at the same time, villages are hiding their family members and their, and their tribesmen from, from being taken away because they're infected with, with the virus. The misunderstanding that would, would lead them to harbor someone that could result in wiping out an entire village. To, to protect them even though, and, and to protect them from, from really the care that they needed and also the, the protection that the village required. The, the misunderstanding that went into that and that, that, was, that was so obvious throughout the spread of this horrible disease was one of the most sad parts of it to me. Uh, that, that it didn't need, the miseducation didn't need to cause so much more of devastation. Um, Jesus explained that it, it's the sick that need a doctor. And by doing this, he was... He was he was explaining 
the fact that salvation is like a doctor coming to the rescue, but no one is going to reach out for it like a, like a person that doesn't think they need a doctor even though they're sick. And he says, it's the sick that need a doctor. I have come for the sick, meaning those that know that they, that they are in dire need of salvation, of help. Everyone needs a doctor at some point. It's only the ones who admit it who actually go to see one. It's the same, in the same way, we must realize just how lost we are before we can come to the great physician for the healing of our sin. This is why uh, the first step for Alcoholics Anonymous is to admit that, they, that we are powerless to change ourselves. Every person is equally in need of salvation by grace through faith, and each person must realize their need of this. And this is why Paul's explanation of the gospel starts with this courtroom drama, if you will. And he takes the role of the prosecutor. And at this point in the section of Romans, he's explaining why it is that the gospel must received by faith. He's already said that he's not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to all who believe, for it is the, the righteous, in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And at this point, he's laying down his argument for why it must be from faith to faith. And the, and the foundation that he is laying down for that is because of the condition that we are in, it is only going to be by God's grace through faith that a person is going to have a relationship with him because we have ruined that relationship with him as our creator. Mankind is horribly unrighteous no matter how much he cleans himself up. Paul speaks to three, or he speaks of three defendants in this, this courtroom drama that he displays. First is the pagan Gentile culture that would, uh, the Roman church would feel surrounded by. And second is the culture that prides itself on having higher morals than the pagan Gentile culture. And the third defendant in this courtroom is the law-abiding Jewish person. And, and Paul is going to span Romans 1, verse 18, as we know it, to chapter 3, verse 20, in this case for man's condemnation. He, this is his prosecutor's opening remarks for why mankind is worthy of condemnation and the only possible way that we could ever have a relationship with the righteous and just God is by grace through faith. So let's look at our group of defendants here. The first, and we're just going to kind of breeze over 
the sections of Romans 1, 18 through chapter 20. I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 20. The first is the self-centered, depraved person. As I mentioned, this, is, this man represents the pagan Gentile culture of Paul's day. This, this is summarized in some ways in chapter 1, verse 28, where Paul writes, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. This, this culture, and, and we're going to dip into the ideas within these verses this week and, uh, of 18 through 32, but as we just breeze over this, this culture is, is marked by idolatry. It's marked by immorality. It's marked by undermining God's created order in creating man and woman, male and female. And it's marked by a complete selfishness degenerating into an antisocial behavior, even sociopathic behavior. And sitting next to this person, trying not to touch him, is the self-righteous moral person, the second defendant. And Paul writes in Romans 2.1, Therefore you, pointing his finger at this one, you have no excuse, O oh man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. This represents maybe in, in Roman culture those that would, and, and, in, and among the Greeks, really Greco-Roman culture, if you will, those who would reason together to find what would necessarily be the highest moral standards on all things. And somehow by their reasoning on these things and by becoming an authority on them, somehow thinking this makes them better in who they are as a person. But they still harbor the same sinful heart that desires what is contrary to God's righteous standards and, and acts out on that also. And they would rationalize their sin away saying, well, you know, those of us who, who maintain these standards can't exactly be expected to live by them. Whereas the sinful Gentile culture might be well represented by the emperor Nero, in all of his unrighteous behavior as emperor, he had an advisor named Seneca, who was his moral advisor, a highly moral person. And, and the worse that Nero got, the, more, the better Seneca looked. And in some ways, Paul might be even uh, having this person in mind who was an elevated place in Roman society and was considered righteous in comparison to those he was surrounded by. The third person, disgusted that he would have to make himself unclean by being in these other two's presence, this third defendant that Paul sticks his finger toward is the self-confident Jewish person. We see in Romans 2.17, and in verse 23, if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God, you who boast in the law, 
dishonor God by breaking the law. Now again, Paul is laying out his argument for why each person who falls into one of these three categories needs to come to God for salvation by grace through faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He's laying out his argument for why it must be by faith and by, and by our own doings. It would be impossible. These Jews would think that their relationship with the law of God is just as good as having a relationship with him. And that, that they held some sort of special place that, well, maybe because I'm, I'm participating in the festivals or because I'm, I'm participating in the sacrifices, God will overlook these other things over here. Those bigger commandments I'm following, isn't that what's more important? The rationalization continues on. And Paul will summarize his findings writing of the whole selfish human race, where he says in chapter 3, verse 9, what then, being a Jew himself, he says, what then, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. Here's, this is what Paul is getting at in this case for man's condemnation of spanning Romans 1 into Romans 3. We are all under sin. The whole race is tied to Adam and determined to rule itself and to control the Creator. And all of this would lead us to the righteousness of God through faith. But prior to getting into verse 18 here, let me just look ahead with hope for you. We're all getting here to Romans 3, 21 through 26. This is what Paul is building up to, where he says, remember, the gospel is the power of God, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. But then he begins with the wrath of God is revealed here in verse 18. But before we get into reading here, let me remind you of what's written in Romans 3, 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested. Apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, for all who believe. Just as all who are sinful are cast away from Him. That's all of us. For all who believe, there's a righteousness of God available. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because He, in His divine forbearance, He passed over former sins. 
He was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus Christ. That's where all of this is going to. It's laying out the sinfulness of all mankind so that Paul can introduce the hope of all mankind. And that is the just God was just by pouring out his wrath on his son and justifying those who have faith in his son, Jesus Christ. I love how one author defines to be justified. It's God's righteous way of righteousing the unrighteous. God's righteous way of righteousing the unrighteous. First, we must see that we are all unrighteous. So we pick up in Romans 1 verse 18 here, as you see on the screen. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This morning we're going to take a cursory glance at defendant number one, the self-centered, depraved person. We'll be looking today for three principles 
that are true of all people, us as well, in how we turn away from the knowledge of God. And then next week, we're going to look back at these verses in the progression that we see in an ungodly culture. I have a little spot on my fridge. My fridge is only about two years old. But right underneath the water dispenser where that that insert goes into the metal door, uh, there's a little spot of rust. And Kelly keeps saying to me, we better do something about that. We better do something about that. Because it's becoming corrupted. The steel, the metal that's there is oxidizing. It's, it, the water is getting in there. Maybe it was from when our, our, our water softener was running like straight salt water out of the, the tubes. I don't know. But if I don't do something about it, it's just going to grow. It's just going to get worse. It's just going to get spread. But the corruption is there. The term depraved, it sounds like such a, such a horrible, such a judgmental term. It means corrupted, perverted. Perverted from the original intent that was to be there. Much like metal becomes corrupted by rust. And we see in this self-centered, depraved person, right starting, looking back at Romans 1 verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. John Stott writes that God's wrath is his holy hostility to evil, his refusal to condone it or come to terms with it, his just judgment upon it. Notice his wrath is revealed against evil against unrighteousness, ungodliness. And those who are unrighteous and ungodly who suppress the truth, deciding to live for themselves, they determine to bury any truth that might challenge their right to self-centeredness. The seminar that I went to um, a week ago Saturday, in it, the, the speaker said, Uh, Speaking of our culture today, he said, in order to sell a lie, you must deny the truth. But in order to, um, in order to spread a lie, like wildfire, you must bury the truth. You see that on Facebook. When people speak for righteousness, when people speak for what's, what's right, they'll get buried a lot of times. Because in order to promote a lie, in order to spread a lie like wildfire, you must bury the truth. Part of, I think, the the flavor that's in here of God's wrath being revealed from heaven is in the crucifixion of Christ himself. I mean, what an image that we have 
for the last 2,000 years that the world cannot get out of its head of Christ, the Son of God, hanging on the cross. And I think there's a nature of that in what he's saying here. My wrath was poured out on my Son. Do you not see it? Do you not care? It's over what you are doing right now. Does it not matter to you? Makes me think of that, that statue that I've mentioned before on LaSalle Street, north of Moody's campus, on a church that hangs where Christ on the cross is on a statue and it faces LaSalle Street. And the words below it says, Does it not matter to you all who pass by here? This is somewhat of a summary of these defendants, I think, as well. Of Paul warning, God's wrath has been revealed against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. It's not just this, this defendant of the, the self-centered, depraved person. It's being suppressed by those who would say, oh, just be a little better. Just be better than them. The target of God's wrath is the evil in those who suppress the truth about God. The truth that is available. And it's available to everyone. And this is because truth that is suppressed has been graciously revealed by our Creator about Himself. Where He says, what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and His divine nature, guess what? They're not invisible because they've been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they, meaning everyone, are without excuse. Although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Just as a side note, this answers the question, what about the person who never had a chance to hear the gospel? Just enough has been revealed to make them accountable for the truth. And this is why they need to hear. This is why people must be sent. This is why people must go. Because they are accountable for what has been revealed in creation. The reason for God's wrath is that He's shown Himself to everyone, but everyone ignores His revelation. The evidence of God's reasoning we see in verse 20, His presence is clearly on display with the result that everyone is without excuse for disbelief in God and must come to Him through faith in Christ or come to Him not at all. No excuse will stand up. So as God's speaking about Himself here, we kind of review that in the gospel, the power of God speaks of the righteousness of God, which involves the wrath of God against those who ignore the knowledge of God in the revealing of the glory of God. And this morning, I simply want to draw out three principles that are true for the self-centered, depraved person. But like that small spot of rust, 
These principles are true for how we are missing a closer walk with God. Okay? So don't hear this message and think, okay, well, that's the godless culture. Any more so that you would look at Satan's work with Adam and Eve and think, oh, well, that's how he worked there. No, we look at that and we realize that's how he works everywhere. And so don't hear these verses or hear what I'm saying and say, oh, that's what's going on with those people out there. This is also how we slip away from a closer walk with the Lord. It's how, what explains where, why all of us are in a place of not having that walk with the Lord that we want to have. Or maybe we don't even want it. First principle that we see is the knowledge of God comes with responsibility. The knowledge of God comes with responsibility. What can be known about God is plain to them. God has shown it to them because God has shown it to them. We see in verse 21, although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Knowledge without honoring and thanksgiving leads to losing track of the truth. I mean, there's a reason why we're told over and over again, although they saw it, although they had it, although they knew it. And we see in the end, there's, there's not even an acknowledgement of God. They, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, it says. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. The thinking is, what need is there to acknowledge Him? What need is there to attribute anything to Him? What need is there to seek Him? Equating God with a figment of the past, maybe. Outdated. Convinced of their self-achievement, resulting in self-reliance. And the passage closes with a statement of where a godless culture ends up. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. What matters to these people in this situation is what we call the court of public opinion. How many times have we heard of someone who was, was elevated and praised and, and then something became known about them or, 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 uh, or they did just something that was, just was, didn't, didn't fit the trend. Um, you know, I think of, uh, well, it doesn't matter. What, what, what bothers me about it is the commentators that come on and say, oh, you know, it'll be all right. They'll kind of go They'll step back for a while, and then we, they'll reemerge. You know, when they're just kind of, it's the court of public opinion is all that's concerned about. It's what's politically correct has replaced what is morally right and wrong. That is what's being described here. Much like the insanity of Satan 
trying to overthrow God ever since he fell. It's like a child closing their eyes and their ears, saying, I can't hear you. Uh-uh. Nope. Not, I, you know, like they're being told the truth, maybe by a friend or by their parent or something like that, but to close their eyes and cover their ears somehow makes it so they don't have to listen to it or makes them less accountable to it. Or maybe that person's just going to give up and they can continue to live in their reality. This is what's being described to us, and it's describing our culture pretty darn well. Have you ever wondered why it seems like America is rushing at a breakneck speed into deeper sinfulness? America knows so much about God, about the gospel, and we're so much more in danger of being judged by him by, for ignoring the truth. Uh, the United States was the top sender of missionaries for spreading the gospel around the world. And now it's the top producer of pornographic DVDs and web material. The second is Germany, the birthplace of the Reformation. The pornography industry makes more money than Hollywood. A 2013 source says, the sex industry is, lar is the largest and most profitable industry in the world. This includes street prostitution, brothels, massage parlors, strip clubs, human trafficking, phone sex, child and adult pornography, mail order brides, and sex tourism, just to mention a few of the most common examples. And we, as a nation, have driven it the most profitable industry in the world. I heard John Stone Street say one time, consumerism is good until it forgets that some things are not for sale. Some things are not for sale. Don't just hear me and think, those worldly unsaved people, how can they do this? Understand that we are looking at these issues in terms of how we can fall into greater consequence of sin. Where am I allowing the rust of corruption to grow in my life? Look for where you've become self-reliant rather than depending on God in faith. And I think you'll probably see some other um, recognizable traits as we move into these other sad truths. Second principle is the tragedy of what man, of man in what he trades. The tragedy of man in what he trades. We read that says, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Exchanging God's glory for idols. Causing them to lose touch with God himself. And we know how idols work. 
We're more assured by them. We're more, we're more comforted by them because it's something we can touch. It's something that we can feel. It's something that we can look at and we can say, I think this thing is going to give me what I need. So I'll take what belongs to God that's been given me to worship Him with and I'll give it to this thing in order to get what I think I need. And that's idolatry. And we'll look more closely at that Next week, as we look at this from a progression standpoint, today we're looking principally. And I think it's principles that we can identify with as well. Verse 24 says, Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of the bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. This is the exchanging of God's truth for lies, losing touch with the way back to him. So in other words, it's walking down the path, dropping breadcrumbs, and then giving those breadcrumbs away. We don't need to go back. And it goes on, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relations. Likewise, the men likewise gave up natural relations with women. Notice the progression. The exchange of God's glory for idols, losing touch with God's person. The exchange of God's truth for life, losing touch with the way back to Him. The exchange of God's created order of sexuality, losing track of their identity as his creatures, trading it for an identity of their making, losing track of being made in his image, male and female. Maybe you remember the opening scene from the first Indiana Jones movie, the mystery of this professor and his quest for archaeological treasure from around the world. It starts off in a jungle and he goes into this cave and he gets past booby traps with shooting darts and, and, and huge pits and things like that. And he finally gets to this object that, that is sitting on this pedestal and he thinks enough about the fact that it's not just going to let him just take it off of the pedestal. He's got to take a, he takes a bag, right, and he fills it with dirt, and he's thinking, I've got to, at the same time as I take this object off of here, I need to put this bag on here that I'm hoping is the same weight, and the whole system of booby traps and things will, will think that, I, that the object is still there. And of course, he ends up, you know, goofing up anyways, and, you know, the huge stone ball chases him out of the cave and stuff. But I think of that moment of with what he's holding, and he's reaching out, and he's about to make an exchange of one for the other. And the picture here is holding the glory of God, holding the truth of God, holding the very way that we were created to be and exchanging it for an idol or for a lie or for just taking from each other that little bit that we think we need rather than engaging fully in relationship 
the way that God made us to. That's the exchange. That's the tragedy of what mankind trades as described here. The human race had the glory of God in their hand before their eyes and they traded it for a piece of stone. We traded it for something created rather than the creator. And this is what we're tempted to do every day. Making an idol out of sex, out of money, out of food, out of financial security, out of a relationship. And don't be mistaken. The tragedy is in what we trade. The tragedy is not in where our culture is going. The tragedy is in what our culture is leaving behind. But the hope in this is in returning to him as your greatest treasure is the path out of a corrupted way of thinking. It's not sitting here thinking, I got to get away from this. This is ruining me. That's true. But the answer is in returning to realizing how wonderful and amazing and awesome he is and valuing him again. Some of us stand back and wait for the world to be judged like Sodom. But what we learn here is that the judgment of God is deeper sin. We typically think of God's judgment as being like anything from a traffic ticket to fire and brimstone. People also tend to think that if everything is going well, according to my standards, I must be okay. Right? Maybe they even rationalize that God doesn't care because he's not doing anything. Or maybe he doesn't even know. We see a very different and chilling idea here in Romans 1. For instance, because man exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, it says, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Why? Because they exchange the truth about God for a lie. And in verse 26, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. God's not sitting there going, what are you doing? Stop that! They're given over to dishonor themselves and to dishonor one another. Far from the loving, real intimacy that we were made to have with each other that answers some of our deepest needs. This is free will. The ability to be further corrupted in our mind and in our will. The will doesn't stay free for very long. As well, we see in verse 18, I'm sorry, in verse 28, <clears throat> since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. 
John Zeisler observes, God's judgment operates not by God's intervention, but by precisely, but by precisely his not intervening. By letting men and women go their own way. Do not be confused. Our culture is under God's judgment. And you're watching it happen. Don't be drawn away by it. Don't be sitting there thinking, oh, there must not be anybody at the controls. God must not care. Again, John Stott writes, God's abandons stubborn sinners to their willful self-centeredness and the resulting process of moral and spiritual degeneration is to be understood as a judicial act of God. This is the revelation of God's wrath from heaven. The tragedy is in what we trade and the judgment of God is deeper sin. So when we ask the question, why is God allowing the world to become more and more sinful? It's what he does. What's the big deal, we might ask? What's the big deal with what I'm doing? You might be losing, tr- losing touch with the truth. I don't feel convicted about it. That might be God's discipline. The answer for us is like blind Bartimaeus. As he heard of Jesus walking by. Son of David, have mercy on me. And they try to get him to stop. And they try to get him to be quiet. And it says he cried out even louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. If you realize, I don't care. Because God's given me over. I'm not growing, and I've been sitting here waiting. Well, when God wants to do something, I'm here. Maybe he is doing something. I don't feel convicted. That's a bad sign. Son of David, have mercy on me should be our cry. I'd like to conclude by reading Paul's challenge to the church in Ephesus. I read it this morning as a part of the men's Bible reading group. We're in Ephesians 4 now. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But this is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupted through deceitful desires, 
and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, let me tell you, we as shepherds want to help. Because sometimes all we can do is just get to the place where we realize, I need to change. And then a lot of times we need someone else to help us to know, what do I need to put off? What do I need to put on? Where do I need to be renewed? I don't understand my own mind. That's where we get. And we are more than happy to help. As we've done, um, we'll be up front. Um, But let this time of response be a time where at the very least you cry out to the Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. We all need that from time to time. <sighs> Lord, we see a sad and shuddering statement of the fact that you care very much about our culture, you care very much about our hearts, you care very much about your glory. And it is startling to think that you let people go. Maybe we keep waiting for you to step forward, we keep waiting for you to change our culture, maybe we keep waiting for you to change our very hearts. And Lord, you have graciously done so often. And your mercy and your grace are new every morning. Lord, I pray that you would have mercy on our culture. I pray, Lord God, that you'd have mercy on our sinful hearts. Because, Lord, there's so much more of you than we let ourselves enjoy. And we don't want to stop short. I pray these things in Jesus' name.